1: Attention world, if you can make it to America, then come see us. We are going out on the road for SYSK Live again, and we are going to start the whole thing off in Chicago on July 24th. That's right. And if you can't make it to
0: America, maybe make it to Canada, because we're going to be in Toronto on the next night, Mm -hmm. the Danforth Music Hall. Then in August, we're going to do a couple of dates at the Wilbur in Boston Mm -hmm. on October 29th in Portland, Maine's lovely state theater on August 30th.
1: Yep, and then we're going to be heading down to Florida. We're going to be at Plaza Live on October 9th. And then the next night, we're going to be in New Orleans at the Civic Theater. That's right, and then we're
0: going to round it out in Brooklyn, October 23, 24, and 25 at the Bell House.
1: Yep, so come see us. You can get tickets and info at sysklive.com.
0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. And the ghost of Jerry Rowland is seated next to us. Just Frank the chair, I guess. Yeah. Hey, Frank.
0: Yeah, Jerry, uh, everyone, has a a hurt shoulder.
1: From bowling.
0: Has to go to the doctor and uh, did that deal, which she's only done a couple of times, where she just hits record and leaves. Yep. And it always feels like the teacher is gone.
1: It feels really weird in here.
0: And that we should, like, do something disruptive and wrong.
1: <laughs> so we're practicing paper airplanes. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's the worst thing we could come up with. We're
0: doing spitballs. Uh, Josh just threw a couple of pencils up, pencils up and stuck them in the ceiling.
1: I still got it. Remember that old move? Sure. Well, clearly.
0: And uh, what
1: else? Um, we started a fire in the metal wastebasket. Yeah. Uh, Chuck's trying out drugs. Sure. And uh, <laughs> we started listening to Miley Crue. <laughs>
0: That's right. And we're going to talk about photographic memory, which, as it turns out,
1: is kind of. Not real.
0: Yeah, it's a semantic thing. Uh, Photographic memory, as you. It's funny that we're talking about being in elementary school because that's. It's sort of one of those things that you used to hear a lot on the playground Mm -hmm. about, you know, so and so's got a photographic memory. I know. They can read a book and like recite every word from it or something.
1: There's something so juvenile about claiming that you have it yourself as an adult. Yeah. It has its max of that playground thing. I hadn't put my finger on it, but that's Uh exactly what it is.
0: Yeah, and as it turns out, what you call photographic memory isn't really a thing. There are people with amazing memories Mm -hmm. and people with amazing uh, techniques to develop better memories. Right. But this whole notion of a photographic memory, like you could walk, you know, like you see on TV or something, isn't really a thing.
1: No, uh, no, it's a thing from TV. It's a thing from books. It's, yeah. It's something that, you know, you attribute to like Sherlock Holmes or just some great genius. Sure. Um, or John Holmes. <laughs> sure. Obviously, everybody knows he had a photographic memory. Um, but the the idea that, that, yeah, you can just walk around and have an experience or you know, flip through a phone book and like a, a year later right. recite that phone book. That just doesn't happen. There's maybe one person who's ever lived that came very close to that, who we talked about before, Kim Peek, yeah. the the uh, inspiration for Rain Man. But um, they're still not sure if Kim Peek would have really fully fit that bill even. Yeah. But for the most part, that idea is not... It isn't. It's not real.
0: But again, it's also a question of semantics because if someone has the abilities of a Kim Peek, it's like, well, you know, isn't that photographic memory?
1: Basically, right. Right, yeah. I think maybe then, let's say it like this. (laughs) Anyone who says that they have a photographic memory is probably full of it. Yes, They probably have a better than average memory. That's what they're saying. But that doesn't mean that they have a Perfect memory. Because here's the thing. Even people with outstanding, amazing memory abilities, Mm -hmm. they still get stuff wrong. Sure. And that seems to be part and parcel with this idea of a photographic memory that not only is the recall amazing – over long periods of time, Mm -hmm. and in detail and clarity, but that it's flawless, too, that they don't get stuff wrong. Yes. They don't insert stuff that wasn't there originally. They don't misremember things. That's part of the photographic memory, and that doesn't exist.
0: For sure.
1: That would be perfect recall, and the brain just isn't really capable of that.
0: All right, well, we're going to start out this episode, though, talking about something else that's a slight variation, which is called eidetic memory. Yeah. E-I-D-E-T-I-C. And that is something found exclusively in kids between the ages of 6 and 12. Yeah. Roughly.
1: About 2 to 10% of kids during uh, in that age group.
0: Yeah. So here's what they do for <laughs> these tests. Uh, you get a subject. You get a, a little 6-year-old or a 7-year-old. Right. Or an 8-year-old or a 9-year-old or a 10-year-old or 11-year-old or a 12-year-old.
1: Okay. But no no more beyond that. No.
0: Uh, and then you show them an image kid can look at it for whatever, 15, 20, 30 seconds. Then you take that image away, <laughs> and then you say, what do you recall about that image? And if you have eidetic memory uh, for a very short term, you can recall with astonishing detail what was in that image.
1: Yeah, maybe another 30 seconds, maybe up to a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot going on here, all right? So it's not like, here, look at this image. And then the, you take the image away and the kid goes over and sits down and, like, really thinks about what was in the picture. <laughs> right. The kid holds the the pose and their line of sight mm-hmm. just like they were when the picture was in front of them, as if they're still looking at the picture. Yeah. And here's the thing about eidetic memory. The the kid who's showing off their—and people who have eidetic memory are called eideticers. Okay. I know, it's weird. But— um. The eidetiker isn't recalling what they saw. They never stopped seeing. They're holding it visually in their line of sight, even though the picture is no longer physically present.
0: Yeah. And one of the ways they can tell is that they talk about it in the present tense still. Mm -hmm. They don't say, well, the picture had a a red car with a, a weird looking dog driving it.
1: Right, it's it's present tense. It's the picture has a red car right. with a weird looking dog driving it. Yeah, yeah. So that's a big that's a big one, right? That's people think well, that's photographic memory, but that's really the closest thing to photographic memory that science has really happened upon. Well, one of them. We'll get into another one in a little while, but there's a lot of a lot of divergence from what you tend to think of as photographic memory. For one, again, it's a very short duration. Right. 30 seconds, a couple minutes.
0: And then five minutes later, they talk about the picture, and the kid's like, what what picture?
1: What picture? <laughs> yeah. Where am I? <laughs> <laughs> why, am, why did you drug me and tie me up?
0: Uh, apparently, even them speaking during this period or even blinking can shut it off.
1: Yeah, and especially not just speaking, but saying what the thing is, saying out loud, oh, a red car, will make the picture vanish from their their. It almost visual. sounds like a trance or something. Kind of, it does. It's really it? interesting. Yeah.
0: Uh, they can make errors as well and put things in there that weren't there. So that obviously is not a photographic memory. Yeah,
1: the dog driving the car had a cat friend. <laughs> like, <Aww>. That's believable. <laughs> that's really stupid kids. Yeah.
0: By the way, everyone, the cats and the dogs are getting along great. Just to update that. Oh, good. Everyone's getting along fine.
1: That's fantastic.
0: But we have a, uh, one of the kittens is a bed peer, and so we're trying to sort that out. Oh, boy. Which is not a fun problem.
1: You know what the solution to that is? Kitty diapers. <laughs> the cutest diapers.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're getting through that. Not fun. What
1: do you do? You just, like, clap loudly next to its it? No, ear?
0: you try, you know, if you catch them, you try and hustle them really quickly into the litter box. <laughs> the whole idea is to get to get them... Associating litter with peeing and so it's just like your bed for not being. Yeah, but usually cats are really intuitive. I've mm-hmm. never had a cat that wasn't like immediately just litter trained. Yeah, so this is a little bit distressing.
1: Yeah, how long has it been going on? Mm, we've Two had weeks?
0: like three or four bed pees.
1: Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah, they'll pick it up in no time. <laughs>
0: uh, but anyway, just wanted to update everyone. So, uh, is this true about the eidetic memory? Uh, Studies being done by the Nazis, is that correct?
1: Yeah, the the, the Nazis f- found out about this. I'm not quite sure how. But they're attributed with some of the earliest studies of eidetic memory. And they, in Nazi fashion, gave it a really bad name because they were using it to promote... How the Aryan race was obviously superior because right. our kids have eidetic memory right. and so since you know just about anything the Nazis studied whether it was legitimate studies or not mm-hmm. it just had a, a taint to it afterward a chode if you will had <laughs> that Nazi stank <laughs> pretty much yeah. right and so um, they they it was discontinued for many decades mm-hmm. and then I, I can't find out who picked it up it's really weird like when you look up photographic memory almost everything that comes back for research, says photographic memory is not real, and here's why. Mm -hmm. Um, There is such a thing as eidetic memory, but there's almost no information on, like, the actual study of it, who's conducting it. Right. Usually it'll be like, they'll even cite, like, one study. Everyone will. This doesn't even have that. Yeah. It's real cryptic almost and, and weird and just... I want to say fringy, but there's nobody who questions the science behind it. It's proven that this does exist right We know kind of the the mechanics of it how it actually ha- or or what the process is what's actually happening or how kids display this stuff right we know how to test for it so it is real and there's that catchy name ideticers yeah, it's definitely a real thing, but what how it's being studied and who's studying it's just totally lost I mean I can't find it
0: well, and we don't know you know why it's only in children or really a whole lot of concrete conclusions about it other than the fact that it happens.
1: Well, there's some interesting hypotheses about that. Let's hear it. Well, the fact that kids from 6 to 12 are developing it, and it stops beyond that, suggests that it has to do with language development. Okay. And the fact that if you verbalize what the thing is you've labeled it in a certain way and shut your brain off mm-hmm. that suggests it has to do with labeled or uh, language development too they think that maybe the the kids are not compartmentalizing what they saw in abstracts like people do with normal memories and so it's able to stay in their f- in their visual field even after they're no longer looking at it oh interesting yeah but about 2 to 10% e- eidetic memory
0: well, it is interesting, though, because the word photographic memory, this sounds as close to that as it gets, because it, it almost sounds like they are taking a sort of a brain snapshot. Right. Because they're just sort of in a trance and gazing at what it once was.
1: But again, they can't move. They can't speak. They right. can't blink. Right. <laughs> and with, you know, five minutes later, once they do blink or whatever and snap out of this trance, if you want to call it that, which mm-hmm. you clearly do. Yeah. Um, so we will. We'll just call it a trance. <laughs> okay. Once they step out of the trance, um, they can't recall the picture. So it's not. It's not a very good example of photographic yeah. memory. But it's the closest thing science has shown, aside from some other ones, which we'll talk about later.
0: All right. Should we take a break? I think we should. All right. Let's do it, and we'll talk uh, more about PM right after this. <laughs> All right, so um they have not found any like again science hasn't come forward and said, "Hey, there is photographic memory and this is it and this is
1: how it works." Right. All those people who are like promoting themselves with having a photographic <laughs> memory, they no one they no one's gotten their hands on one of them and said, right. "This guy's totally right. This he has yeah. a photographic memory." Or she. Right. Or they. That's right. But
0: the the it's still something you hear on the playground. It's still something you hear people tout. And there's a few reasons why um one one is, and this kind of has to do with the perfect pitch is I think humans just like to label and assign mm-hmm. geniuses with these tags, right like you know Tesla had a photographic memory, and it's very easy just to write that down and it looks cool on a piece of paper mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of just as simple as that
1: he he apparently was self proclaimed. With a photographic memory. A lot of people say this about themselves. He doesn't seem like the type who would do that. Yeah. He seems like the type that people would say about him without him claiming it. Yeah. But Mr. T is one who claims to have a photographic no. memory. Oh.
0: Really? So I saw. Wow. So he could list all the fools he's
1: pitied. <laughs> right. <laughs> all of them. I'm wearing eighteen <laughs> chains right now. It doesn't even have to look down. Wow. Who else? You got anyone else? Teddy Roosevelt. Okay. Uh, Truman Capote, okay. Um, Leonardo da Vinci. Sure. I'm not sure if he was self proclaimed or if people just again kind of ascribed it to him because he's a genius. Right. He is a da Vinci. But it is. It's like that that um, that kind of thing, like mythologizing sure. extraordinarily smart people. Well, we equate memory with intelligence, kind of like Sherlock Holmes, right? Of course, he's going to have a photographic memory. Uh-huh. He's a highly intelligent person. Um, So anybody who seems extremely intelligent, genius level intelligence, especially someone in history, we would ascribe something like a photographic memory to them.
0: Well, there was an author named uh, Kavya Viswanathan Mm -hmm. who – there was a case uh, where this author was um, accused of plagiarism from another author. And Kavya was like, "Uh, no, I just have a photographic memory. And (laughs) I'm sure I read that book, but it was just so like burned into my brain that I must have just repeated these things That's without right. even knowing about it. She said that. Yeah.
1: In the New York Times. <laughs> and so that gave occasion for a lot of uh, journalists and sure. scientists to come forward and be like, by the way, everybody, there's no such thing as photographic memory. Right, so,
0: but there is a thing as plagiarism.
1: <laughs> there, yeah, I was looking. I was like, what were some of, the, some of the examples? It was pretty bad. Was it? In the original book, there was a line in truly masochistic fashion. They chose to buy Diet Cokes at Cinnabon. Kay. Okay. That's the original. The 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 plagiarized one is in truly masochistic gesture. They chose to buy diet cokes at Mrs. Fields. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's plagiarism. <laughs> yeah. It
0: is. <laughs> that's not even like that's Plagiarism 101, like, no, swap out one word for (laughs) a like word. Right. And then it's fine. Right. Isn't that crazy?
1: She said this in the New York Times. I have a photographic memory, so. (laughs) It's not my
0: fault. Right. Uh, Another reason this is still sort of out there in the public sphere is is the fact that there are people with amazing memories, and there are memory competitions and memory— exhibitions and things like
1: that. Yeah, I looked into that, Chuck. I really... So, I got sucked into memory. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot how cool memory stuff is. We've yeah. done a few podcasts on it. Sure. We talked about it in Can a Thinking Cat Make Me a Genius? Mm-hmm. We talked about it in a podcast to remember, our memory one. Mm-hmm. We talked about it extensively in the Amnesia episode. Right. It's just some good stuff. I And there's more we could do. But one of them is... This whole idea of mind sports, mm-hmm. which includes yeah. memory. But it is organized competitions uh-huh. to, to show off your memory skills. Yeah. There's actually five mind sports. Memory, okay. mind mapping, okay. which is a form of like taking notes with like icons and colors and stuff. It's really neat. Like, uh-huh. If you ever really need to commit something to memory, look into mind mapping. Speed reading. Okay. IQ, which is a little iffy to me. And then creative thinking. Like, there's a mind sport competition for creative thinking. I was like, what is that? And you'll be given a a question, like a little passage that says, like, the alphabet makes no sense. No one can make heads or tails of why it follows the order it does. Put the alphabet into a sensible order and explain how it makes sense.
0: (laughs) Wow. Stuff
1: like that. So there's people who are answering these questions coming up with amazing stuff. So you would just
0: devise a a creative system that makes sense, though. Right. It's got to make sense. Yeah. Or else you lose.
1: You'd lose. You'd be run out of town on a rail. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's um. it sounds really neat, but there's, there's, with memory in particular, there's the World Memory Championships, and they're being held in Wuhan, China, this December 6th to 8th, 2019.
0: Well, you think of a show like Jeopardy, and um, there are things that you can certainly figure out, question and answer-wise, on Jeopardy. Yep but i would say most of that is recall
1: it is recall and that's the same thing with mind sports too like if you if you talk to a world memory champion there's one in particular named dominic o'brien
0: who is what i, I don't know it's just funny to think of these like
1: a picture him walking in with
0: his boxing robe
1: he no he's more the um you'd find him with like a a neat scotch and a cigarette going in, like, a dark bar somewhere. Oh, okay. He just strikes me as a super friendly, neat guy. And he's just, like,
0: mumbling presidential uh, returns over the past 50 no, years? No, no,
1: he's, like, running numbers or something like that. Oh, okay. That's my guess. Gotcha. He's, like, a bookie in a bar or something. That's what he strikes me as. All right. Again, really nice guy. I sure. don't know he's doing anything illegal. but right. a, a British man named Dominic just strikes me as, like, a bookie. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> he's an eight-time world memory champion wow world memory champion and he'll tell you like it's all training it's practice it's mnemonic devices and just about anybody who is involved in mind sports <laughs> will say it's all it's all practice mm-hmm. and it's using techniques yeah sure to expand your memory which is really amazing cuz what these guys are doing um one of them is is card reading okay they will give you a deck of cards mm-hmm. and you will go through scan it in order maybe be given a minute okay. to scan it, maybe three minutes, something like that. You'll put it down, and then 20 minutes later, they'll ask you to recall the deck.
0: In the order of the 52 cards?
1: And these guys, like, get it flawlessly perfect. That's pretty amazing. It is amazing, but they are saying, like, I have learned to do this. I was right. not born like this. I don't have a photographic memory. Yeah. I'm using things like mnemonic trick. devices uh-huh. that, are, that are, are techniques to help me remember stuff. Yeah. there's Interesting. A, um, have you ever heard of a memory palace? Yeah. Okay. So a memory palace then is just like building a castle or whatever and like different rooms are where you put different things and specifically you might have a drawer for a specific thing and you remember where that specific thing is because you right. placed it in that drawer, in that room, in yeah. your palace that you've built in your mind.
0: Yeah, it's a very helpful way to remember things for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also shout out to a friend of the show, Nate Dimeo, and his great... Oh yes, the Memory Palace. The Memory
1: Palace. Oh my gosh, I never, I never put two and two together. Yeah,
0: Nate's still around. Still a great show.
1: Well, sure, sure. I don't think he died or anything. No. But I'm saying, like, <laughs> I knew, I knew his his show was named the Memory Palace. Yeah, you should make that connection. I never did. You should have put it in the Memory Palace. That is a great name, Nate. Yeah, isn't it? Well, that is a great. I liked it even more before, but I was just taking it more like, like Tolkien's cellar door. Right. Like it was just pretty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right.
0: Wow. So um, there have been some connections that people have made with uh, synesthetes and uh, people with supposedly photographic memories. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a writer named Solomon Shershevsky, uh, who was a writer. Uh, I think I already said that in the 20th century, in the early 20th century. And he had these really amazing uh, powers of memory. And he uses uh, or used mnemonic techniques like we talked about. He did. But he was also a synesthete, right? So the point was made here was that he basically had been doing this his whole life involuntarily because right. of associations that synesthetes make with color and sound and mm-hmm. shape and things like that.
1: Yeah, that's how that's how a memory becomes all the more solid is associated yeah. with a, an emotion sure. or a physical sensation. And um, he was a multiple synesthete, right? So rather than say like a, a sound having a color, this guy. When he heard a bell ring, he saw a white, tasted salt water, and sensed something small and round mm-hmm. from the sound of a bell. He he would not read the paper while he was eating because the tastes that the words on the page evoked would compete with the f- taste of the food he was oh, eating. Oh, wow. Like he, w- he had it just powerfully, powerful yeah, yeah. synesthesia. That's pretty cool. Um So, yeah, he couldn't help but have an amazing memory.
0: Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, the mnemonic devices, everyone uses those in school or they tell you that's a good way to remember things. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's also, um, what, and this was a Grabster article, what he just called relentless obsession. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you, if you want to go on Jeopardy, memorize the constitution, memorize every state flag, every state bird, every state motto. It's like, it's, if you pour yourself into that kind of study, and you're obsessed over memorizing a certain thing, right? then you could probably do it over time.
1: Right, yeah. Um, Ed uses the example of the, um, uh, what are they called?
0: The Pollock
1: Yes, who uh, were a sect of Polish Jews who memorized the Babylonian Talmud, mm-hmm. which is, from what I gather, one of two versions of the Talmud.
0: Yeah, I think there are like eight or 12 books. It's a lot.
1: Yeah, like 5,000 pages. Yeah. And these, these guys, would rem, they would remember the Talmud so precisely that a case study from 1917 based on eyewitness uh, accounts said that you could put a pin on a word on one page and push the pin through, say, 50 pages. Mm-hmm. And they could tell you the word that that pin <laughs> came out on on the 50 pages ahead. So that's
0: geography, too
1: kind of uh that's a really good example of a potential photographic memory.
0: Right, but also an example of obsession. Right. Um I did a little more reading on them too. They were known as uh nemonists. Okay. For mnemonic. Right. Uh it's interesting that's just I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think that might have been a uh, early Eastern European and Russian name for someone with amazing memory uh-huh. because the Sharershevsky, um, he was written about as a patient just by the pseudonym S, uh, by a psychologist, a uh, very famous psychologist named Alexander Luria. And he, he titled his paper or book, the mind of a mnemonist.
0: Oh, okay. So I
1: wonder if that was like an old timey word for like somebody with an amazing memory.
0: Mnemonist. That's probably word. What is that? Mnemonist?
1: Oh, yeah. I like the way I think way yours you said is right. Uh, I like yours more, though. <laughs> uh,
0: another thing is that a lot of times when someone, you might think, or they claim to have a photographic memory, it's on a very specific um, thing that they are obsessed with. Mm-hmm. Like a chess player may be able to memorize, like, these incredibly complex sequences or games that they've played right. but may not have a great memory otherwise of other things.
1: Can't remember their anniversary. Ask their wives.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know? For sure. Um, Who's this other guy? John Van Neumann. He was a, a mathematical genius. Oh, yeah. And he could recite chapters of books and pages of the phone book. But apparently he was, like, that was sort of where it ended. He didn't have, like, a memory outside of, like, these very specific things.
1: Right. He also never claimed to have a photographic memory. Right. Which is pretty cool because if anybody could claim that, he was definitely one of them. And he was a polymath, just straight-up genius in general. It's a great, varied thinker. Yeah. He, I read somewhere that he used to tell jokes with his dad in, in classical Greek at age six. Which, that's, I mean, if you're doing that at funny. age six with your dad, <laughs> it's a specific type of household you're being raised in. You know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, that Stephen Wiltshire guy is pretty interesting. Um, I remember seeing something on him a while ago.
1: I think we talked about him in the thinking Cap episode too.
0: yeah, that might have been it. He's from London and is uh has autism, and he's the guy who you know takes a helicopter ride over Berlin, mm-hmm. lands, and then draws it in right. like astonishing detail
1: yes, but and it is astonishing mm-hmm. but and people put him up as an example of photographic memory. There are flaws in sure. the recollection and the telling. These are renderings. are not architecturally precise yeah. drawings. But still, I mean, better than – it's astonishing.
0: No, I think what's astonishing is, is the art. And I think people should just, like, lay off the photographic memory part of it <laughs> and just say Stephen Wilcher is an amazing artist. Right. Who, like, can see a scene and encapsulate it on paper uh, with ease. Right. Or seeming ease.
1: Yeah. And then you really can't start a conversation about memory of any kind Without talking about Kim Peek, who we mentioned earlier, yeah, who was again the the um, the inspiration for Rain Man, mm-hmm. but was um, much more friendly, much more outgoing, much happier than Rain Man was.
0: Yeah, he was a real jerk.
1: He was. Well, he wasn't <laughs> a jerk, but he was uh, much more introverted. Kim Peek was yeah, sure. much more happy-go-lucky and mm-hmm. like very talkative and curious. Yeah. And um, for a very long time, he was considered to have had uh, autism. But now they think he had FG syndrome, which is a very specific genetic disorder mm-hmm. um, that's characterized by people who are friendly, inquisitive, hyperactive, and have a short attention span. And from what I understand, that describes Kim Peek to a key a uh, T. Yeah. <laughs> Not a key. <laughs> to a KP. Uh-huh.
0: He would, uh, his, his whole thing, I mean, he had a great memory, but he w- had basically memorized the calendar. And when you say calendar, you mean... Like, that means the calendar of the past.
1: Oh, big whoop, it's Tuesday. (laughs) Everybody knows that.
0: Yeah, but what day was, uh, you know, July 1st, 1977? He can say, well, that was a Thursday, and on this day, these things happened. Right. That kind of memory.
1: Yeah, which is pretty astounding in and of itself. But he was also able to do things like read the phone book two pages at a time. Yeah, now that's...
0: Just off the charts. <laughs>
1: this is... He may be the only human being who was ever born capable of doing
0: this. Yeah, his left eye was reading one page and his right eye would read another page.
1: Okay. Astounding that he could do that just visually, uh-huh. optically. Yes. He would retain this stuff. <laughs> yeah, there's two parts And to he that. could tell you... The phone number of somebody's name, you went back and, and said, What is, you yeah. know, what is John von Neumann's phone number? And he'd say the phone number. He'd be like, Really? I don't want to call him. I
0: thought you were about to say I'll, John von Jovi for a second. I, mean, I got I, excited.
1: I have a, a joke in Greek. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that is. Let's edit that part out. Really? No. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you say, Really? Here's the thing
0: with Peak, though, is we talked a lot about the Corpus Colossum in the. Uh, yeah. Uh, What's it called? Restless hand syndrome? Uh, Alien hand syndrome. Yeah, yeah. One of our early, early podcasts.
1: That's right. I forgot that showed up in that.
0: The corpus callosum, we've talked about it a bunch in a bunch of shows, but uh, that's what connects the two hemispheres. Kim Peake does not have a corpus callosum.
1: Like, not severed, not cut apart, not yeah. partial. It did not grow in his brain. So he has two independent
0: hemispheres of his brain.
1: And so when his left eye is inputting all this stuff and his right eye is inputting all this stuff, his brain can recall it separately, but together. That's just astounding. Is he still with us? No, he died a few years ago. I don't remember of what. Yeah. And like he was in his 60s, I believe.
0: All right. Well, RIP Mr. Peak, And let's take a break now. And then uh, we'll talk about a woman named Jill Price right after this. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and
1: hypergig for details.
0: All right, as promised, we're going to talk about Jill Price, who I remember from the news mm-hmm. in 2006 – is when she kind of uh, hit hit the big time with the news. And she was the one that, uh, she's called the woman who cannot forget.
1: Yes, and, and pretty accurately.
0: Because she has an audit, well, they now, they call it a couple of things now. Uh-huh. Um, I saw uh, HSAM, highly superior autobiographical memory. Right. And then another uh, condition called hyperthesmia.
1: Thymesia.
0: Hyperthymesia.
1: Yeah. With hyperthymesia. A, with a Y and seven E. Oh,
0: is this misspelled?
1: Uh huh. Okay. Um, and hyper. So, so delete my correction. <laughs> <laughs> and hyper means excessive, obviously. And then thymesis is remembering. So it's excessive remembering. I like highly superior autobiographical memory, though.
0: Yeah. And I saw where they found they know of at least 60 other people that have HSAM, mm-hmm. uh, whereas this said only two other people have been diagnosed with hyperthymesia.
1: Right. It's the same thing. It is? It's the exact same thing.
0: Okay. So are there 60 people or are there three?
1: There's 61 from what I understand. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Well, she can't forget stuff. And these people apparently, you know, if you go back and say, what were you doing You know, 14 years ago and two months and two days, or give them a date.
1: Date usually.
0: And then they will be able to say what they
1: did, what they were wearing, who they were with. What was on TV. Yeah. But the thing is so this is so you say, okay, great, fine. We found these are the people with photographic memories. Right. Not really. Right. Because it's highly superior autobiographical memory. And that is a very specific kind of memory. It's a type of episodic memory. Episodic memories are personal memories, Mm -hmm. memories you generate as opposed to semantic memory, mm-hmm. which is memories that you make of things like um, uh, a car has two axles or something stupid like that. Right. Like a fact that you recall right. rather than an autobiographical memory. So the, the semantic memory is normal in, in people with HSAM or hyperthymesia. It's the autobiographical stuff that is astoundingly photographic.
0: Yeah, and people also tried, after she came out and made a You know, kind of a big splash on the news programs. Mm -hmm. There were people trying to poke holes in her condition saying that, like, well, starting in her teenage years, she started keeping these obsessively detailed diaries Mm -hmm. every day as well. Right, Um, Which, sure, that can help. But just because you write a, an obsessively detailed diary every day doesn't mean you're going to remember it 25 years later.
1: Right. No, that's that's exactly the point, right? Yeah, maybe she is even using mnemonics to solidify it even further. But the fact that you can give her a date yes. at random yeah. and she can remember it without consulting her, her journal, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty impressive. It's definitely its own thing. And there's... There's a, a pretty widespread consensus that this is a real condition, right. But the fact that you said it, she she keeps an obsessively organized journal. Mm-hmm. Um, they believe it's possible that it's linked to obsessive-compulsive disorder, right that the brains of people with hyperthymesia, um have have the same traits, the same structures. Um, that people who have o c d have, and they'll very frequently have kind of this comorbid collection of stuff mm. or um, they, they have traits that uh, Hording, somebody, maybe. yeah, somebody with o c d might have
0: I also wonder if it has anything to do with narcissism
1: <laughs> oh really i don't know man <laughs> it's autobiographical really yeah,
0: like they remember everything about their life right, but they might not be able to tell you like you know who the president is,
1: sure, but the okay. If it is narcissism it's a masoch No. It's a masochistic. Okay. That's the one where you're bad to yourself, right? Mean to yourself. Why? Because yes, this yes. is sort of a curse. Yes. Right. Um so if you if you see interviews with Jill Price, she's not a happy person by any stretch of the imagination because part of this condition is not being able to forget like emotions Pain. attached to yeah. things. Yeah. She she after um a very long time met a man and married him, and they were very, very close. Like she she said later that, that he just got her. He was the first person to ever just get her mm-hmm. and accept her for who she was. Um, other family and friends would be like, can you not just let this go? Can you not get over something that happened 20 years ago? Right. And she's like, no, I really can't. Yeah, this yeah. guy just accepted her. And then, of course, he dies young uh, from, I think, geez. cancer or something like that. So um, rather than going through the mourning period and grieving – uh, like a, a, a person normally would right time healing all wounds mm-hmm. that does not apply to somebody yeah. with hyperthymesia because when they think of that day again or something reminds them of that person that and the the, the memory of them is recalled yeah. they experience that same pain like they experience um the first time it happens wow forever they yeah. cannot forget
0: Sounds it like does not fade like a sci-fi movie
1: basically was, but it's a
0: real thing what was the Tom Cruise thing Lib Die Repeat.
1: Uh Rain Man. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh you know who else has hyperthymesia or highly superior autobiographical memory? I
0: think I know this. You who do
1: because you talked about her at length in the uh, podcast you remember? Uh l- what? Who? I'll give you uh, <laughs> I'll give you a I'm... one degree of separation and you'll figure it out, okay? <laughs> okay. Don't say Kevin Bacon. Tony Danta. What no, I didn't say oh, you no, do a it. Tony that's Danza John Travolta. <laughs> Sorry, that was not a bad Tony Danza. Uh, Mona.
0: No. Um. Oh, oh, that's right. Uh, yes. What's her name?
1: Yes, Alyssa Milano. No, no, Mary Lou Henner. Oh, from Taxi. Right. <laughs> Alyssa <that>. Milano. <laughs> well, wasn't she in? Uh, she the just boss? looked up from the gallery <laughs> in the congressional <laughs> hearing and went, who, "Who me? I forgot about uh, Taxi." Mary, that's right. Mary Lou Henner. That's has right. like has it? You can say. You'll give her a date or even like a taxi episode. Uh-huh. She'll start reciting lines, the other person's lines. She'll talk about what she's wearing in the scene. Yeah. Stuff from the 70s. It's really impressive. She has the opposite experience, though. She loves the, the, the whole thing. Like it's oh, a gift to her, whereas uh-huh. it's a curse to Joel Price.
0: My memory is weird because I will, uh, and I'm sure we talked about this in the other memory episodes, but I can have the worst memory on the planet or the best, mm-hmm. and it all just— Depends on whatever detail it is. It's either in in the old brain or it's not. Yeah. Like I can recall some very specific things that people are
1: like, "How in the world do you remember that?" You know, the thing that bothers me about this is we have had so much information pass through mm-hmm. our brains, and I, I retain so little of it. It's almost like I, I I really wish I had more of it in there. Yeah. It's just not though. I mean, I guess it is if you jog it, but I can't bring it to to memory very easily. Yeah, I often
0: find that couples, though, whether that's you and I or us and our individual wives, (laughs) can complement each other with their memories. Yeah, yeah. And their abilities. For sure. Like, I'm really good at remembering certain things, and Emily's really good at remembering other types of things. Mm -hmm. And together, it usually works out.
1: It's a whole person. Yeah, (laughs) basically. Yeah, I know what you mean, for sure.
0: (laughs) But you do that, too. You remember stuff that I don't remember, like Mary Lou Henner. Right. And the list goes on and on. Right. You remember way more than I do.
1: But I don't remember nearly as much as I I should, I think, or that I wish I did. I don't deal in shoulds anymore, Chuck. Right. So should we talk about um, uh, Charles Strohmeyer, John Merritt, and Elizabeth? Sure. So...
0: (laughs) This was a little bit wrong, but the way I understood from what you sent me as a follow up is uh, that Charles Strohmeyer yes. was the one who did this initial initial research at Harvard in the nineteen seventies. Yes, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so this guy placed um, ads in newspapers. He was trying to do some studies on photographic memory, mm-hmm. and all these ads were were images of random dots, and you could take a test yourself just by looking at these dots very briefly and then trying to reproduce them. Mm-hmm. And if you did a really good job, you would follow up by getting in touch with him, saying, hey, I, I, nailed, I nailed your test, dude. Right, I you should this, talk to me.
1: <laughs> I drew the turtle on the matchbook just right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Remember the turtle in the turtleneck?
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and the, there was a pirate too, right? Yep. What was that all about?
1: It was like an art correspondence course where you would learn to draw through the mail.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about that on another episode. Surely we have. I think so. Sorry for derailing you with the turtle thing.
0: No, that's okay. But that was the the long and short of what he was trying to do and how he was trying to recruit subjects. Mm -hmm. And I believe he got, what, like 30 people that were successful?
1: 15 of which he was impressed enough by to go to their house and follow up with.
0: And one person he really followed up with... He did.
1: (laughs) He found out of the 15, none of them had photographic memory. True. But then later on, he came across a woman from a different study entirely named Uh, Elizabeth. And here's the thing. This is nuts, man. He figured out, Strohmeyer figured out that if you took, remember the 3D? um, Uh So in the colorblind episode
0: yeah the 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 magic image or whatever, where you could see the the sailboat and the big thing of dots
1: right, so this thing was it didn 't have to do with color, it had to do with overlaying the dots to create a three d image right, so you need two sets of dots, and when you put them together mm-hmm. they 'll create like a magic eye poster kind of thing yeah, so what Strommeyer figured out is you could take these two layers and separate them. Show one of the layers Mm -hmm. to somebody you're testing for photographic memory. Say, really, get a look at this. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm going to wait like a day, Mm -hmm. and then I'll show you the second layer. Mm -hmm. Bring to mind that first layer you saw and overlay it in your mind. In your brain, yeah. And see if you can tell me what the 3D image is. That's amazing. It is amazing. And Strohmeyer found one person who could do it, a woman named Elizabeth. And he married her and he married her, and the weird thing <laughs> is he wrote like this whole the, this whole write up in the journal Nature, then he married her, and no more testing after that, so yeah he took her off the, uh, took her off the market in every way he did, but they um so they're like well we can't we can't say that this is definitely a case of photographic memory if it were true, this would be the closest thing to photographic memory anyone's ever come up with yeah now Kim Peek holds the title,
0: yet Elizabeth is just. Could be the the key
1: right could She's not be being studied, probably not though I saw that in some follow up tests, this would explain why he took her off the market that um she couldn't she 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 couldn't do it
0: oh uh, really, yeah, but then this guy John Merritt, he came along later. Mm-hmm. And use that, uh, use those studies for his own purposes.
1: He did. He found that um, nobody could do this. That nobody is able to do that. Uh, okay. But they did figure out that hey, this makes a pretty good test to find um, eidetikers. Yeah. Because you don't you don't show them one layer and right. then take away the other layer and ask them a day later. Right. You show them one layer, ask them to hold it in their mind, and then put the other layer underneath it. And if you're an eidetic, you are typically able to see in 3D. And you can go do this online, actually. Just don't blink. Don't blink and like, don't say what it is you're looking at.
0: Like Michael Caine always says.
1: Oh, I've never heard him say that.
0: That was one of, he He did these kind of corny how to act video series, I think, at one point. <laughs> what? And Letterman used to play bits of them because they were <laughs> really funny. Of them. One of them was, the secret to great acting, don't blink.
1: <laughs> was, was he trying to be funny? No. Oh. Man, but Letterman, Letterman would play it
0: for laughs. Don't blink, and he would say, he would show you know scenes, and he's like, look at me, I'm not blinking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Letterman would say, don't blink, like out of the blue, fifty times the rest of the well, show. Probably. I love that guy. Yeah. Uh, you got anything else? No, sir. Uh, I've got one more. Lex Luthor. What? He supposedly had photographic memory. <laughs> he's not real. Well. Was it photographic memory. All the more likely that he had photographic memory. Well, if you want to know more about photographic memory, go take that Eidecker test. You'll love it. The Mr. T thing is just Back to the podcast?
0: Maybe. I uh, pity the fool that tripped me on 57th Street on July 29th, 1982. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> well, Chuck made a Mr. T reference, which means then it's time for listener mail.
0: Uh, this is, I think, just some, some warm gratitudes. Oh, I like that. Uh, hey, guys, I'm sure you get these emails all the time, but I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you for all your wonderful work. I had a really tough time with mental illness, and there have been a lot of nights that your wonderful show has staved off panic attacks or worse. Thank you for keeping me calm and educated. Thank you for making me feel safe, even in perilous circumstances. Thank you for giving me something to talk about uh, when my depression has kept me in a fog, Without your massive backlog of seemingly endless supply of fresh, fascinating subjects that would surely be lost. Spent some time researching. I can truly appreciate just how much time and energy uh, goes into becoming familiar enough with something to explain it as succinctly as you guys do. You are superheroes and rock stars. Nice. Uh, you have truly saved me. Kindest and warmest regards, Georgia. And here's the thing, everyone. I may have read this before. But let's leave it in there. Oh, okay. Because if I did read this before and forgot it, it will have been within the last six or seven weeks, and it will be a very funny ending to the memory episode. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: Either way. The listener mail is so nice, you read it twice. <laughs> yeah, that's appropriate. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Georgia. Two times over. Maybe. Thank you, Chuck, for that great ending. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can go on to stuffyoushouldknow.com dot com, check out our social links, and you can also send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio
0: app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Twenty to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month.
1: In Puerto Rico, there's adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the U.S. Get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico and that remind you why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island, it becomes a part of you. No passports required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.